This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. I'd like to welcome Daniel Taylor to Knowledge at Wharton. He's a professor of accounting here, and he's written a very interesting paper on the connection between political connections and um, and insider trading during or just after the financial crisis and during the period where TARP was under consideration, and TARP is the uh, Troubled Asset uh, Relief Program. That's right. And so I'm going to let you give us a short summary first, and then we'll get into more specific questions about what your paper is about, what it found. Okay. So what we what we did in the paper is um, we look at the trading of corporate insiders. So by corporate insiders, we mean uh, officers and directors of publicly traded corporations. All of these individuals have to file what's known as Form 4s with the SEC in the public record that discloses their trades in their firm's shares or their firm's stock. So they're allowed to trade in their firm shares, and they file that information with the SEC. So what we did is we gathered all of the information that's out there on these, on these Form 4s, on their, their trading. And we looked at the trading before the financial crisis, during the financial crisis, and after the financial crisis. So this is the trading of uh, executives and directors in their own firm. And we looked specifically at financial institutions. And so one of the big questions that comes out of the financial crisis that's interested, you know, in, in Wall Street and on Main Street is, did anyone know? You know, did anyone see the crisis coming? And so we initially started the project by looking at, okay, can we see whether uh, insiders, corporate insiders, officers and directors traded in advance of the crisis? Um, uh, so did banks that did poorly during the crisis, did their executives sell shares before, you know, the crisis hit? Uh, and then we looked at the trading during the crisis, so around the uh, bank bailouts, the TARP monies that you alluded to, uh, and then sort of after the crisis, what, what, what did it stabilize? And we found that there was – there didn't seem to really be any evidence of uh, trading before the crisis. There was no evidence that insiders traded in anticipation of the crisis. But we did seem to find some evidence that insiders traded during the crisis in the period in which the TARP funds were dispersed. And then we investigate that a little bit more, and what we find is, interestingly enough, that it's only the insiders that had political connections. And by political connections, I mean connected to uh, a bank regulatory agency uh, or the current uh, House or Senate at the time. So we looked at uh, bank boards who had a director or officer who had work experience, current or past, at a bank regulatory agency, the Senate or the House, and we found that the boards of those banks that had those political connections uh, traded more heavily during the financial crisis. Their trades had higher predictive ability of outcomes during the financial crisis. So they predict, for example, the market reaction and the amount of the bailout that the bank would receive. Uh, so we basically find that during the crisis, there is some trading in anticipation of, of, bank, of bank bailouts. Um, and then after the crisis, of course, we sort of things go back to normal, and we don't really find that that they that those trades or those individuals uh, trades have any more information than otherwise. So this would seem to be the definition of insider trading on the face of it. 
so I, I wanted to just point out, because I think it's very interesting, that this study had a very large sample. Right. It looked at 7,300 corporate officers. Is that right? right? That's right. Uh, across 497 publicly traded TARP-eligible institutions. So That's correct. This, is, this was a very wide net that you cast. Right. I mean, one way to think about this paper uh, is to think about it as using big data and computer algorithms to sift through uh, public information on the trades of officers and directors and to see which trades of the officers and directors are correlated with future outcomes. And so we would say if a trade is correlated with a future outcome, if it has a high predictive ability, it's more likely that that trade might have been based on, on, on information about that future outcome. But I do want to I do want to clarify that you know in the in the popular press uh, and legal scholars they use the term insider trading. Yes. They're thinking of illegal insider trading. Yes. When we use the term insider trading, we're thinking of the trading by officers and directors. So when we say insider trading, we mean trading by corporate insiders. And there's two types. The first type is the legal trading. So this is they can you know. The, the board or the CEO can trade in his shares, you know, just like anyone else can. With proper disclosure. With proper disclosure, you know, as long as they do not have any private information. The illegal kind is when they have private information that they have not disclosed to shareholders. So this would, uh, this sort of relates back to a set of rules called disclose or abstain. So if you're a CEO or a manager and you have private information, it's your duty to either disclose it to shareholders or abstain from trading. And so in this setting, it's a little bit more murky because when we're looking at political connections and connections to bank regulators, you know, it's not really clear how the manager would disclose any information that they would have gotten from their connections. So for example- Because it's not definite information. Right, so you know- It's it, something looks, someone is telling, a bank insider, it looks likely that this is going to happen. So legally, he can't. He doesn't really have an obligation to disclose something that's not really certain. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. And so I think, you know, there's been a spate of recent insider trading cases that have gone, uh, uh, that the government has prosecuted. And, you know, out of those insider trading cases, the definition of illegal insider trading has become more murky. Slippery. <laughs> so, yes, more slippery. And, and so, I, you know, I don't think it would be wrong to suggest that this paper has sort of a smoking gun. Okay. What we're doing is we're reporting correlations on, as you mentioned, a large sample mm -hmm. and casting sort of a suspicious eye in the direction of insiders that have political connections. I mean, if you, if you go back to all of the books and the uh, popular press during the period, you know, the bailouts were effectively decided in, you know, backroom meetings with sort of insiders. Uh, uh, there's a great book, you know, Too Big to Fail yes. uh, by Sorkin that sort of details sort of all of these, you know, his interviews with people. And so a natural question is, is well, you know, if, if the bailout's being decided in private and in consultation with, you know, bankers or, you know, treasury officials or government officials, how does that information sort of mm -hmm. leak out? So there's, I, I think that, um, it's also interesting to note that this was not the result you were expecting when you started out on this path. Could you just talk about that briefly? Right. How this surprised you. Yes. I, I, the results surprised you. Yes, absolutely. And, and frankly, we're still kind of stunned at the, uh, at the results. And so when we, we started the project several years ago, 
Um, you know, as I mentioned, it was sort of like a big data study. Um, you know, we sat down, the co-authors and I, and, you know, talked about, you know, okay, does this, you know, this would be interesting. Does it make sense? You know, because there's all of this concern about did they anticipate the crisis. So we began the paper thinking, okay, we would shed some evidence on whether they anticipated the crisis or not. And sort of five years ago, that would have been sort of a very timely, you know, uh, finding. Right. They did anticipate the crisis or they didn't anticipate the crisis. But it took us a little longer than we expected to gather the data and to do the analysis. But the analysis was, you know, a, a couple of months of, you know, you know, coding and get, gathering data. And, uh, and so when we started doing the analysis and we realized, okay, we're probably after the crisis, let's add some more data. Let's add the post-crisis, the bailout period uh, data. Let's add, uh, you know, the data from, you know, 2010, 2011 into it uh, and, and run the analysis. We kind of, we found somewhat surprisingly that there was this, you know, blip for lack of a better term, in the correlation between insider trades and future performance during the what we call the bailout period, and that's the period from when TARP uh, began uh, dispersed Octo in, uh, in October uh, through June. And so when we saw the blip, the next question is, okay, where, where is the blip coming from? Why is the blip there? And so then we found that the blip only occurred in banks that actually received TARP money. Okay, so then we could dig, you know, think about like, an, you know, an investigative journalist, right. dig deeper. Okay, right. so now the blip is only in those banks that received TARP money. Okay, so then dig deeper, look at the connections of, of the individuals or of the bank. Okay, well, now the blip is not only in banks that received TARP money, it is also only within that set, also those that received TARP money and had ties to former or current uh, you know, Bank regulatory, uh, bank regulatory agencies like the Fed, the Treasury, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the FDIC, and so that's when we said, oh, you know, like wait, you know, wait a second, you know, is this actually, you know, what we're, mm -hmm. is is this actually where the blip is, and so you know, we're my co-authors and I are are actually pretty suspicious and skeptical people by nature. So in terms of data analysis, we threw everything we could at it to make it go away. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wouldn't be here if it went away. Uh, and so this isn't a case where, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to, uh, you know, cast some suspicion on something that may or may not go away. I mean, this is a very, very robust result. I also want to mention that the data on political connections, it was not uh, like we collected uh, this data or that we generated this data. Everything in the paper is generated from public available information. So it's perfectly conceivable that somebody could go out there and, and you know, and investigate it uh, themselves. The data on political connections, right. right? Where do you get data on political connections? Well, in the bios of directors and officers in the annual reports, they list what their current and former work experience was. Mm -hmm. So everything that's, that's in the paper is sort of out there in the public domain. So you weren't using any insider information? <laughs> no, we were not using any okay. insider information. Um, what are some of the practical implications of these findings? So I, I think, I mean, it's really interesting you pointed out that the, the alleged criminality of all this is, is questionable because the information they had wasn't necessarily actionable in the way that they had to disclose it. But if someone was whispering in their ear and it was good information, you know, it, right. it seems a little bit... Uh, uh, it seems sleazy, right, <laughs> to, to put it mildly. Correct. So um, what, what practical 
implications could come from this? I mean, for example, I mean, this speaks to the damage that can be done with the revolving door of government officials, you know, having come from industry and then going right back into industry, perhaps without a, a, a you know, a proper amount of, of, of gap in time. Right. But I'll leave it to you. What what are some of the practical implications? I mean, here? I, I I think that there are probably I would say two main practical practical implications. The first is we need to give some more thought to what exactly constitutes illegal insider trading. I think right now, uh, in light of recent court cases, there's a big gray area out there, and I think a lot of people would be surprised at how gray the area actually is. So you need a smoking gun to be able to prove an insider trading case. And it's very hard to get that smoking gun. You have to get the tipster. The tipster has to confess. Uh, you know, there has to be a, a, a series of dots that you can, that you can collect. It's tipster who may have benefited correct. in some way from this to begin with. It's, so. it's, it's difficult to do that mm -hmm. using a large sample with correlations. Um, but this suggests areas where you know, people may want to you know, shine a light. Mm -hmm. So think about it as this, this insider trading is a dark room. Mm -hmm. We're shining a light, you know, it's not entirely illuminated, mm -hmm. but, you know, we've got a, a good area where, mm -hmm. you know, people should look. Um, the second one is, like you mentioned, the revolving door. There are a series of studies uh, in the academic literature on political connections, and specifically political connections of financial institutions. So, for example, there's a recent study in the Journal of Financial uh, Economics um, and they found that this was before Tim Geithner was, was made uh, Treasury Secretary, um, that when he was announced to be the Treasury Secretary, the banks that had connections to him, either on the board seats or whatnot, experienced l massive increases in shareholder value. So what this is saying is, is that the market is aware that there is this connection between bank regulators and the banks in which they are regulating. Right. So for example, many people are surprised when I, when I say go to, the, go to the Federal Reserve's website, you know, you can even look during the crisis. You know, Lehman Brothers CEO was, you know, one of the board of directors of the Federal Reserve. You know, uh, Jamie Dimon was on that, was on that board at all. And of course, well. Paulson himself Correct. was heading that backroom deal right. th that you uh, alluded to earlier. So you've got this Marriage is too strong of a word, but you have these very strong connections between the regulators and the people that they're regulating. Now, that's good and bad. On the one hand, you want somebody knowledgeable about the industry sure. and how banks work to regulate mm -hmm. banks. But where it, you know, where it becomes questionable is, are there conflicts of interest? And sort of our paper suggests that, yes, there are conflicts of interest, and these conflicts of interest are potentially mm -hmm. pervasive. And I don't think that's really been given enough mm -hmm. sort of, you know, consideration out there is that, you know, there's a good side to having a banker regulate the banks and there's also a, you know, there's also a, a bad side. Did you attempt to quantify any of this? Like how much uh, some folks may have benefited? Uh, well, so the benefits are, are, are tricky because what we're looking at is what we call opportunity profits. So when an individual trades, if their share price goes up, let's say, 6% yes. over the next, say, month, then that means that they've earned a 6% return on their, on their money if they sell. Mm -hmm. But we, don't, we can't match buys and sells. So we can't actually compute a measure of realized profit 
all we can say is, well, you bought this month, stock right. price went up 6%. Right. That's 6% more than you would have made right. if you had waited a month. It's usually better when it goes up, I think. Yes, no, <laughs> that's right. And so in, in this case, we look at the trades in advance of the TARP infusions. So we know the date of the TARP infusions. Uh, we know the date of the trade. And so we look at the trades, and surprisingly, we find a significant amount of trades, both both in volume and in dollars, clustered 30 days before the bank actually receives a TARP infusion. Um, now, I, I have done some, uh, some work on uh, insider trading policies in my prior research. And what was surprising to us is that most companies have something known as trading blackout windows. And a trading blackout window is imposed by the company in the Code of Ethics on the offices and directors, and it says you shall not trade N days, typically 20, 30, 40 days, in advance of a material event. So, for example, for an earnings announcement that firms make on a quarterly basis, yes. insiders are prevented from trading you know, several days in advance of mm -hmm. that earnings announcement. Uh, in this case, if there was a blackout window applied to the TARP infusion, those trades should not have existed. So what this suggests is, is that either the event, the TARP infusion, was unanticipated, so a blackout window could not apply, mm -hmm. or that they sort of skirted the, their firm's you know, blackout windows. Uh, just uh, one final thing. I just wanted to focus on the no smoking gun comment that you made at the outset. So um, this is seems like pretty clear evidence that there was insider trading, to me, as I read it, very, very strong evidence, and yet uh, this isn't pointing to any individuals or necessarily. I mean, you, you, you were sort of doing this globally, and the information that you have, uh, while interesting, isn't the kind of information that someone takes to court. It's the kind Correct. of information that an investigator would use to say, here are the most interesting places to look if I were going to try to find a wrongdoer. Right. So I guess I, I would think about this as sort of a as an academic paper on the costs and benefits to political connections. So most of the academic literature has focused on the benefits that the shareholders in the firm receives from having political connections on the board, right? Mm -hmm. So it may very well be that, you know, you like, as a, as a shareholder in the firm, you want your bank to be politically connected because sure. you're more likely to get bailed right. out, you know, you're more likely to get special favors. Right. And so most of the academic literature suggests this is a good thing for shareholders. I see. You know, not necessarily for the government, for the public, right. but for a narrow set right. of, of shareholders. Mm -hmm. What we're coming along and saying in the, you know, sort of the, this is the sort of the academic debate is there is also a cost. What is the cost? Well, the cost is if you have these political connections during the crisis, they may engage in some, for lack of a better term, shady trading. Mm -hmm. That shady trading comes at a cost to shareholders. Mm -hmm. So who loses out from the, mm -hmm. you know, the insider trading? If the executives traded at with private information, it's other shareholders who potentially are on the other side of that trade, and they lose out. So this is really about sort of mm -hmm. if if you think about academics is okay. Political connections have a have a benefit to the firm, and we're documenting one cost, mm -hmm. which is sort of extracting rents. What mm -hmm. we say is rent extraction from and, from and also the. The potential cost or the risk of being exposed and what that could do to, to the bank's uh, stock. Right. No. <laughs> so I, I don't. I don't want there to be. You know. To, to one shouldn't ascribe any sort of 
policy agenda or anything like that uh, to the paper or to, mm-hmm. to the findings. Uh, we're just basically saying, look, there's this cost of, of political connections. And, you know, and by the way, this is, this is not a trivial cost. Mm-hmm. This seems to be a big deal, especially in light of all of the debate mm-hmm. about TARP, uh, how the bailout monies were doled out, mm-hmm. the decisions about how mm-hmm. those things were, you know, were given out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so hopefully something like this doesn't, you know, doesn't happen again, but it does suggest that, you know, these conflicts of interests do have real costs mm-hmm. for, uh, for, for the bank shareholders, even if the bank gets bailed out, you know, the, the, the managers or the officers and directors may have traded, mm-hmm. you know, on private information in advance of that actual And the idea of how many people were involved in that potential violation, well, it's, it's, those it's, potential violations? It's difficult because it's hard to say uh, whether anything was actually sort of whether, you know, I can't go – since everything's based on correlations mm-hmm. – I can't go around and say, you, 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 Mm -hmm. this firm, that firm, this firm. Mm -hmm. All I can say is the set of firms and the set of individuals Mm -hmm. where the correlation is particularly high. Now, those trades may have been conducted entirely legally, Mm -hmm. you know, within sort of the purviews of the existing insider trading rules. And by chance, Mm -hmm. there was a very high correlation. But the fact that we find that, you know, this correlation – so pervasive, as you mentioned, and specifically focused within those that are politically connected, suggests that there is, you know, it's not just one or two or three individuals. They would not be able to drive a result on 73,000 insiders, or 7,300, excuse me, 7,300 insiders. But, you know, it's, so it's sufficiently pervasive that, you know, it's able to generate a large sample result. Thanks for coming in today. Really My appreciate pleasure. it. My pleasure. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.